It's Friday and time for another Marketing Agility Podcast. Roland. Bring it on. We have an end user today. We do. We have an awesome guest, actually, a guy named Mark Verone. He is at GoGo. You know GoGo. Pretty much everybody who's ever been on a plane and used wireless uh, service there knows GoGo. I got to know Mark a little bit through, um, I've actually only exchanged uh, communication with him by email, but we were on, we were part of a project that was being led by Forbes where they did a six part series on agile marketing. I was one of the folks that they interviewed, but they also interviewed Mark Verone, Scott Brinker, and a handful of others. So I've learned a little bit about his approach and how he thinks um, through that interview series, and I'm thrilled to get him on the show with us. And enough with the pundits, enough with the vendors, right? Let's talk to some real folks, real people who are trying to make it happen. Absolutely. Cool. Should we dial in? Sure. Go for it. Hey, Mark, are you there? This is Mark. Yep. Hey, Mark. Hey. All right. You sound uh, nice and clear. Thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. I already uh, shared with our listeners how we got acquainted through the Forbes series. And yeah, we're thrilled to hear a little bit about your experience at GoGo. I know that you know, you've, you've had a number of different roles there and you oversee a, bro- a broad range of things from marketing to operations. Can we start just by having you introduce a little bit about your background and how you came to Agile and then we can dig into how it's being leveraged at GoGo? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I kind of fell into it. Um, first, when I was at Orbitz Worldwide, the software teams had shifted to using an agile method, but marketing was not using uh, agile in that method. And so we um, discovered over time that in partner marketing operations at that time at Orbitz, my team was operating in an agile way without an official label. It was later at GoGo that we started to refine the agile methodologies for transaction-based operations. And we started to discover that time boxes don't always fit into a two-week sprint cycle. But a lot of times it's really dictated by the campaign or the contractual commitment of a particular marketing program. So the phrase scrum bond was was first introduced uh, to me by our consultants at the time. We were using a company called Big Visible, which were helping our entire GoGo team build agility across the entire organization. And they introduced this, this concept of scrum bond, and it made perfect sense to me when we started getting deeper into what it means to be agile. Can you give our listeners a snapshot of what this scrum band process looks like? It's not the first time we've heard the term. I just, we're just really kind of curious what it looks like for you at GoGo. In marketing operations and specifically, you know, ad operations, content operations, Scrumban works well because, you know, Agile has a lot of uh, continuous improvements concepts that, that follow it along. So you have things like Kanban and Lean and different types of uh, development methodologies. Scrum on its own, you know, really consists of these time boxes, roles, rituals, backlogs. And the idea of Kanban is actually a lean manufacturing technique, and it has roots in the Japanese automotive industry initially. And a lot of that leverages visualization and pull techniques. And so when you look at Kanban, it really has three rules. Visualizing your workflow, which is an easy one for me because I'm a visual person. I have an entire wall in my office that's just a giant whiteboard. It's all whiteboard paint. And we map out everything, whether that's through Visio or any number of tools that we might use. But we want to visualize the workflow and understand all the steps in and how we do that. We want to limit the amount of stuff that's in progress, limiting the amount of work that, that we have in progress. So we want to make sure that we're getting to a task that either is to do or is done. 
Um, and we don't want to have a lot of stuff, you know, just kind of sitting out there. And then we want to analyze and improve the process. So a, a good example of this is that, you know, the time box for an ad campaign is really deter- determined for us by the contractual flighting of the campaign. So the, a lot of times the flight dates don't always match a traditional two-week sprint cycle. And in content operations, um, more specifically on the in-flight entertainment side, for GoGo, my team is sourcing and processing movies and TV shows for our in-flight entertainment uh, product. It's called GoGo Vision. And we're working in either 30 or 60-day content cycles where content is refreshed on board the aircraft six to 12 times per year. So in order to make sure that we're accomplishing those timelines, we can't always work in a two-week sprint cycle. So that's where where the the scrum bond fits in nicely because it gives us that flexibility that we need for more transactional functions. Does that mean have you given up time boxes altogether? No, it's just that they're so in the case of content operations, our time boxes, we have to produce a content cycle within that 60 day period. So each step has a separate has a separate grouping of time boxes, but it doesn't fit into the traditional definition of a two week sprint. We really say, okay, it's it's if it's a 60 day cycle, my team has X number of days to get that completed. And and so yeah, time boxes are there. It's just that they're not necessarily they're dictated by what when we have to deliver something uh, on a con- contractual commitment or a specific SLA, which might differ a little bit in software development. So it's more like you've got a 60-day window. I don't don't want to say it's a 60-day sprint plan because it's not really a sprint plan, but it's a 60-day block of work where you have some goals and objectives and deadlines, and you kind of use that as a way to kind of do some capacity planning and project planning. And I'm using all the wrong words for what is essentially, you know, a continuous flow process. Exactly. And again, we, we, we've identified all of the steps. And, and the thing is, it's, it's repeatable. So when you have a repeatable yeah. process, it's easy to visualize it and then, and then actually, you know, find ways to make improvements or to modify as you go. But for the most part, once you have that plan in place, for us, it's the same thing, whether it's an an airline that has a 30-day cycle or a 60-day cycle, we don't care as long as we're delivering within that time constraint. I think what's interesting, though, is that it's also not pure Kanban in the sense that, you know, in a traditional Kanban approach, when something is complete, you would release it. But you're talking about a context where you may be finishing things in advance of the that sort of date in at which you refresh the airplane, you know, the airplane's content. So it's different than Kanban in that way, because you're not pushing stuff as it is available. You're waiting for the release date. Yeah. And thus it's that sort of compromise between Kanban and Scrum. Yeah, and the fun part is, is we actually do have a sort of a, a manufacturing process at the end of this because after my team does its work, there's a, a series of handoffs, right? So the first handoff that my team does is once we have the final batch of content, um, which is going to consist of, you know, a grouping of new movies or updates for for an in-flight entertainment segment. What we do is we deliver that on a master USB stick. We have manufacturing facilities which replicate those USB stick, and then we actually ship those USB sticks out and another group on the maintenance side actually takes those USB sticks to the airplane and puts them on board the plane. So there, there is a lot of interaction between other groups too. It's not just my group. It, there, there's other other pieces to the puzzle. But to, to think in terms of like what, what drove developers to Agile was the uncertainty and not, you know, that the maybe what you deliver at the end of your 
product development cycle is quite different from what you thought it would be at the beginning. I mean, your process has some certainty to it. For the yeah, for the most part, it's it's well defined, which I know is not always the case for a lot right. of groups. And but if you have well defined parameters, it certainly makes it easier. Yeah, well, it's it's you know Toyota makes a car that they don't they're not deciding at the end of the assembly line we're going to change how we put this bumper on the car. So when the process has a certain amount of certainty, you go down that road. I mean, what takes you from just using a plain old waterfall process with a giant spreadsheet? Oh, waterfall's scary. (laughs) So I don't think waterfall offers the same level of flexibility that you get with Agile because we have to respond. So sometimes when we're getting the content from um, the studios or the labs, it, it doesn't always come in perfectly, right? So there, there's always going to be some variation. Plus there's variation between each airline. So some airlines do things a little bit differently than other airlines. There's uh, metadata variation. So we get actually the same movie that comes in for a particular airline. And it could be the same movie that runs across multiple airlines, but we actually may have different metadata and different actual versions of that movie for each airline. Some might be edited, some might be unedited. Um, it depends on on the on the airline's uh, specific rules. So so it's not as easy as, as just putting it into a waterfall. Plus, it's interesting, parts of our company are waterfall and parts are agile. Um, and it's, it's an interesting mix. When you look at a company as complex as GoGo, um, I think we we have to have a, a balance between the two, but we've really latched on to, to the you know the Scrum Bond method, and it seems to be working. But again, I, I I'm not against waterfall. It's just that I've experienced both, and I and I like the flexibility, and I like the the feedback and the tooling that I have attached to to the to the agile process because I get I get information and I get dashboards and I have you know real data that I can look at to make improvements to my process. Yeah, I, Mark, I'm still still stuck on the fact that you've got people actually carrying USB sticks to plans. You, that's was, just insane. I was um, thinking your but, cybersecurity <laughs> guys are probably sitting here going, "Oh my god!" <laughs> but well, uh, but it's all it's I, all I wanna, it's all encrypted. I'm I'm sure. No, I mean I, it's more of a thing. Like I can't believe we're not you know just uploading that into the plane. Like, right. can you give us a sense about the the size of your team and? Uh, walk us through a little bit of maybe I don't know if you refer to it as kind of like the maturity curve of your adoption. So how did you drive it into the team? Was it already there? Did you invest in training? What kind of work have you had to do to get other executives on board? And how is it moving, spreading through the organization? We've kind of gone through some ups and downs with Agile. And and actually, the consultants warned us about that. They're like, hey, Agile's a, a living creature, and or it's like a, a plant. If you don't water it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to die. And, and so we went through that kind of initial steps where we went full board on Agile, and then we pulled back. And then some teams you know, stayed within Agile. I would like to think that a lot of our front-end development teams and our product team, my team in, in particular, have really latched into the to Agile because it works well. We still you know, have some waterfall that's associated with what we do. But part of that's you know, just because we deal with a lot of companies and vendors that aren't Agile and don't fit into that model, and they are very waterfall organizations. So you, you know, if you look at airlines and you look at you know, some airlines are, are, are more Agile than others, but if you look at uh, just airlines, Airline manufacturing in general, it, it's complicated. And there's a lot of regulatory stuff that goes into it. So we're kind of like, you know, probably on our second or third go around with refining agile across the company. But I'm 
I'm fortunate that I kind of sit in this little bubble where I can I can actually run in being you know being an agile method that that works for us that no one has really questioned or or said hey why are you doing that that way because at the end of it is am, am I meeting the SLA am am I producing you know what I need to produce in that given time frame and am I making improvements following up on to Roland's question there so can you give us a sense of the size and shape and scale I mean I'm just trying to envision how yeah. Post-it notes, is it? Yeah, so we use it, the Atlassian suite. Um, so we use Jira and Confluence Wiki. Um, those are kind of the single source of truth, the SSOT uh, that drives the process. And it provides you know transparency across my entire team and anyone in the company. So anyone wants to know what's going on with us, they can log into our Jira dashboard. And then we're also expanding the use and adoption of Salesforce. My team hasn't started using it yet, but we're starting to use more Salesforce in our operations um, side of the house. And over the past year, we've, you know, year and a half, two years, we've been using Slack at the company. And that's actually an interesting one. We've seen incredible adoption across my team and the company. And it, Slack is actually a really great agile collaboration tool. It provides uh, amazing uh, transper- uh, transparency across the company and gives you ways to collaborate and you know have side conversations. And, and you, know, you actually have a, a separate, you know, we spin up separate team Slack channels, you know, when we're doing cert- certain types of development or, or have certain projects. But I would say that looking at the size of my team, my team's about 10 people. And and then they're strictly responsible for ingesting that content and pulling it into our system of tools. And so if I look at you know our, our tool setup, it's it, we have a, you know customized tooling that, that we use for for content management to produce all of the the master what we call batches or content batches, which is uh, a set of media that then goes on to the aircraft. So you you did mention that you worked with some consultants. Is it safe to assume that a component of that was a management consultant that was driving it in from the top down? Did you also work with more trainers to certify your team on some of these methods like Scrum or Kanban? So we initially brought Big Visible in for the initial get the company on board and, and get the get the scrum masters in place and work with the project and product management teams. But with regard to my team, we did some initial training, but then, you know, again, we customize it for our use. I look at even like some of the things like we don't do a daily stand-up, we do a three-day-a-week stand-up. We do Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And the reason for that is we were meeting every day and there wasn't a lot of change day-to-day that was occurring in, in some of the stuff because a lot of times we'd get content, we'd have to wait, we, you know, there might be a day in between. So so what we started to do is start to modify things to how it best works with with our team. Um, but we did actually bring in another consultant for, for my group last year around how do we improve our process. So so we looked at USB sticks as not being the most you know efficient manner of getting content to the aircraft, but more a case of we knew that there was a lot of extra manual steps that we were doing with with how we actually produced a USB stick. And we were trying to say, how can we get more efficient? And so with the in-flight entertainment uh, content operations, we wanted to compress the cycle time that it takes to produce a batch of content. So, you know, I don't know if you know this, but GoGo, you know, in addition to being an internet provider, um, is also the world's leading in-flight, wireless in-flight entertainment solution. We uh, have a a fleet of uh, aircraft. There's about 2,500 aircraft and that's spread across, I think like 10 or 12 airlines. And then what we do is, is in this in this whole process, the goal was to, how do we get more content produced and pushed to the aircraft in a shorter window of time? So after some initial analysis, we, we went out 
with this management consultant that we hired uh, locally. They're called Adadale Partners. They're based here in Schaumburg. And I, I don't know if I mentioned this, but I'm in Chicago. So so um, Schaumburg, uh, suburb of Chicago. But these, uh, these guys came in and, and we determined that we had to make a couple of shifts. And the two major shifts that we had to look at is how we operated. And one was kind of a people process issue and, and the need to shift from a single person handling one to two airlines to more of a team-based approach. The second was more of a complete overhaul of our tools and technology, how we actually managed content, and that we needed to bring in a, a whole brand new content management system. So they, the consultants came in to help us with the research and analysis of the people, process, systems, tools, technology. And then from that research, we were able to discover that we, hey, we could reduce our cycle times, but it was going to take a change in how we operated as a team and we we're going to need to make changes to the technology and how we ingest content and how we produce it. And we discovered through this process, you know, we knew we had a lot of steps, but once we mapped it out, we had 90 manual steps to complete a content update. And the goal was how do we reduce those steps and automate you know, much of the process. So in 2016, we, we had produced around 76 batches uh, of content and and that's you know the the update on the high capacity USB sticks we probably touched or processed over 7000 you know pieces of media and the, when i mentioned the the USB sticks we we manage an inventory of over 10000 USB sticks um, across those airline partners so the, f- wow. the first, yeah, so it's pretty, you know, pretty enormous when you look at the inventory. So the first thing we had to do was really get the team-based approach and, and to begin tracking the content batches. So we actually ch- looked at our Jira. We had a Jira to track everything before, but we actually needed to change it and modify it and update it. And so we did. We spent time with our Jira developers and we worked to change how we actually utilize Jira and what steps and what triggers and what tasks needed to be tracked. And then we really changed to this team-based approach. The entire team was able to work on tasks assigned across any airline where previously you'd have a dedicated resource you know, that might be handling one or two airlines, which was less efficient because there would be a lot more downtime. So we were, we were trying to figure out how to share those resources uh, instead of having dedicated resources. We made the decision to, to completely rebuild the technology workflow, um, simplify steps, reduce manual processes, you know, one of the main limitations is the old content management system could not import metadata. And so in a content world, metadata is the key to, to everything. And for us, we, we spent a lot of time, wasted almost a week per content batch, just manually copying and pasting and updating, validating media uh, and metadata. And that was, you know, just a complete waste of time that could be totally eliminated with automation. And then September of last year, we began the development of a new content uh, management system, which was we worked with a couple of different third parties to totally rebuild the workflow from how we receive content from the studios all the way to ingestion, processing, and then output. So to is the this USB content stick. management system, is it directly connected to Jira? So you know, when ta- someone updates a task in the content management system, it, it marks the task done or something? I wish. <laughs> Uh, maybe maybe that's a great that's a great feature uh, add-on or request, but um, not yet. There there is reporting and data that comes from the content management system, but the, the okay. two are not connected. So there is still a step of of keeping Jira correct. But my team actually enjoys that part because they know that that feeds into the dashboard of how we measure our work. Looking at the beginning of a, I'm not going to say sprint again, but I'm going to say the two two say your 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 block of content delivery. What's the what's the word you use for it? A content batch. In the beginning of a batch, you know you have, I don't know, 100 movies? Yeah, 50, 100 movies. Say 75 movies. 
each movie yeah. do you <laughs> go through the rigorous process of itemizing the what 50 steps that you go from you know from to get i don't know name the movie you know wolf of wall street or whatever i don't think a random movie that i've seen on an airplane recently you, you have um <laughs> 50 steps with it to get that movie from from the studio all the way through to the stick i mean is it are you literally doing 50 times 75 and having every little task as a task in jira so we we actually group the tasks we group the the subtasks into four main areas and that is an easier way for us to look at the data and so if we had if we had looked at it from each individual task and, and each individual task is important but I'm, I'm less concerned about measuring the individual down to the individual level from a dashboarding perspective yeah. so yeah. for us yeah for us the, the dashboard is got is got more of a high level milestones so how many so yeah. what does that look like is that like so instead of there being like 75 tasks it's more like six tasks or seven tasks something like that yeah, so it's actually there's the, we bucket into four main buckets. So it's it's media and okay. metadata processing, um, testing, replication, and then installation. So, this, so the you field. have you know, say the seventy five movies times four steps per movie. Yeah, I mean if you if you want to look at it that way, but you know we we drill it down even further. So we can we can actually say well where where is this where is this content batch in in the media and metadata processing section? So it's like okay, did we receive all content? Yes. Okay, so that that's a step. You know, did we process all content? Yes, that's a step. So there's there's a series of sub subtasks within that. But, you know, ultimately, and we're measuring those, but from a high level report out, a lot of times the airline and the, you know, account managers and everyone that we report out to. Well, just I was just thinking out loud level. because I'm in the middle of right. doing something similar with a new team that I'm working with. And we've been creating white papers and blog posts and we have these, you know, kind of, it's some, it's maybe not nearly as complicated, but, you know, the, if you create a white paper, you have a topic, a table of contents, you have a first draft, you have a review first draft, you have second draft, you have a layout and then publish. So you know, we've mm -hmm. been kind of, I've been kind of itemizing each one of those into, you know, multiple, multiple steps. Now I'm not as sophisticated. I'm a Google hacker. I'm using Google Docs spreadsheet, breaking these tasks into all the little bits and pieces at the beginning of a cycle, a 30 day cycle. It ends up being you can have a hundred different or two hundred different little bits and pieces. You can really get into the weeds, and and in some cases you probably should. Some teams may need to get into the weeds, but at a high level, if you're just trying to measure a couple of core components, it's probably better to do a roll up. Right. A lot of this sounds like it is in the spirit of fostering the transparency that you mentioned uh, earlier, just giving people clear visibility into where things stand, so things don't get lost in the shuffle and you find yourself at the end of your cycle without having your batch complete. That's an important point because the reason, the other reason for the stand-up that we do three days a week is we invite all those stakeholders that, that want an update or, you know, can come to that stand-up and learn about yeah. where things are, or they can go to the JIRA and pull up the report. So, so again, we're, we're trying to be absolutely completely transparent. And, you know, as of, as of February, we actually launched the new software and moved all of the airlines uh, over to the new system. And we've, we've actually done a little bit of math on this. We've cut our processing time by about 50% by just, wow. just going through and, and changing how we do things and, you know, doing like now we import metadata. Right. We, yep. we used whereas we used to manually update it. So now we import it. So instead of 90 manual steps, we're probably in the 25 wow. to 30 steps to actually complete a batch working smarter, 
But, you know, again, the secret sauce here is people, process, technology. It was really about getting the team to, to use this new team-based process, having data that you can, that you can you know, rely on with Jira and to be able to yeah. track that data. And then the tools and technology that we needed to better automate things were, were, were the other part of it. So, so I've heard you talk about a team that you're working with to get Jira where it needs to be. Presumably, that team is continuing to iterate. What about, um, is it fair to assume that the structure of your organization includes small cross-functional teams that are focused on a business initiative? For example, you know, process improvement. The process improvement team might be iterating on your Jira workflows. The Another group might be focused on a particular part of the supply chain that you're managing, or, or is it that you're more set up in functional teams? It's actually the 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 first part of that is is you know we have a quality team, we have a supply chain team, you know, so we we do have a lot of separated functions, and you know the the Jira in particular is used by many different groups. So my Jira project happens to be just one of of many across the organization, but it provides a, a layer of visibility that is unsurpassed. And it's actually kind of interesting like the number of teams using Jira has actually doubled over the you know the past couple of years that's been in place, but you know even down to the to a, something as simple as requesting a promotion, right? Like if mm-hmm. I want to request a promotion, and within our marketing team, we actually have Jira as that requests arm where someone goes in logs that and and they're able to then track it down and it's so it provides all that visibility it provides any you know sort of you know socks reporting or or regulatory stuff that we might need to, to track or keep track of from a legal perspective so it's it's interesting to me how the adoption of a, of a tool like jira started pretty small and and now is is really central to what we do at the company. Well, Mark, unfortunately, we were coming upon a half an hour of our time, and it has been an amazingly informative discussion. Maybe I should connect with you offline. I'd love to pick your brain a little bit more about what it all looks like. You know, it's funny. We, oh, absolutely. We've talked to a number of different people about processes, but this has been probably one of the more, you would agree, we're one of the more at-scale kind of implementations we've talked to. So anyways, just uh, as an update to our listeners out there, you can still find the Marketing Agility Podcast on iTunes as well as SoundCloud. I don't think we're on GoGo Internet yet, though. Well, maybe, maybe it's something that we can reach for. If you have a story to tell, like Mark's, which is really interesting and informative and can our, our listeners can learn more about it, reach out to Roland at rsmartly on Twitter as well as myself, Frank Days, at Tangy Slice on Twitter. You can fi- also find old episodes of the Marketing Agility Podcast on agilemarketingblog.com. Well, on behalf of Roland and myself, Mark, thank you for joining us today. And everyone out there, please stay agile. <laughs>